We're praying the Psalms. I'm going to be reading from Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. If that's you today, he will answer you. May the name of the Lord, our God, the God of Jacob, protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. So speak to him, cry out to him today. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the king. Answer us when we call. Lord, thank you that you are a prayer answering God, that nothing is too hard for you. That we can talk to you anytime, anywhere about anything. And that you hear us. You want to hear your children. You want us to talk to you. And to be close to you. And Lord, our eyes are on you. We trust you for situations near and far. Like the missionaries that were captured in Haiti. And the poor of the world, Lord. We pray for them today. We pray, Father, for the the volcano that is erupting in La Palma and the Canary Islands that it, of worst case scenario, send uh, land into the ocean causing a tsunami. We pray against that in Jesus' name. We pray for protection around this world, for your people, for your missionaries, the evangelists, that the word would go forth around the world accomplishing what it was sent. We pray for the churches in our community in Hanover County that this morning as they gather to worship you, that you were there with them. Blessing, Lord. We pray for our community, that it would be one that welcomes you and that you would move among us. We pray for the upcoming election in Virginia, an important one, that we would vote, Christians would vote, that we would see you change Virginia. We pray for our sick And those who are grieving today, be close to them. Hear their prayers and answer. Lord, do what only you can do. You are a great and mighty God. And our eyes are on you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the children now to join me for a word of prayer. And many of them are right here. Me, Julia, and Nora are all here all the time. Well, I'm glad. Good. Though I'm glad your parents take you home, though, once in a while. Because I'm here all the time, too. We went trunk-or-treating yesterday. I know. Wasn't that fun? I went trunk-or-treating Did you like that? Yeah. Yes, that was fun. Really? Oh, thank you. I know. Wasn't that good? Okay. Are you guys ready to pray? Let's pray. All right, Lord, thank you for these children, just their excitement and exuberance. And I'm so glad that they're here and a part of our church family. Bless them now as they go learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Nathan. Okay.
Okay, recently Kathy and I watched a documentary called Before the Wrath. And it was about Galilean weddings and how Jesus used them as a symbol for his second coming. Or, and especially why he was coming again. I think most Christians, hopefully all, believe in Jesus' second coming. I mean, that's bedrock Christianity, part of our confession of faith. But we don't always know why he must come again for us. So I want to share that with you today and use these, the image of the Galilean wedding kind of as a basis for my remarks. Uh, Ephesians 5.32, the Apostle Paul says, this is a profound mystery. And in chapter 5, he's talking about marriage. But I'm talking about Christ in the church. Paul said the closest analogy that there is to our union with Christ, that eternal bond that we share with him, is marriage. Jesus' disciples were Galilean. At least 11 of them were. Judas, we're pretty sure, was from southern Israel. Now, Galilean weddings would be similar to weddings all around the first century Middle Eastern world. But a Galilean wedding had at least one, perhaps more, differences that I'm going to bring out in a little bit later. But let me just give a, an overview of, of where we're going and then get more specific in some details. Most marriages in the ancient world were arranged. You didn't date and fall in love. Usually the father of the groom picked a bride for his son, or employed a matchmaker to do that. He'd negotiate the bride price with the father of the bride at the city gate. He wasn't purchasing her as a slave for his son. It was more like an insurance policy to help the father take care of her in case his son divorced her. Or died young and she came back into the family. It would help pay offset those costs. Now the bride had to consent to marry the man. She wasn't forced. Then came a year-long betrothal period, which was about a year. And you were considered married. Just like Joseph and Mary in Matthew chapter 1. You can read that there. The marriage wasn't consummated to the end of that year. And then there was a celebration that could last up to seven days. Remember, Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding ceremony. It lasted seven days and the wine ran out and Jesus multiplied and changed the water into wine so the couple wouldn't suffer the embarrassment of running out of wine. The wedding was the biggest social event on the calendar in small Galilean towns. The whole town would be invited. A trumpet would sound in the middle of the night and the villagers who were Watching and alert would go on to attend the feast. Those who slept or had no oil for their lamps missed out. All right. So let me talk about the major steps of a Galilean wedding and provide some spiritual commentary on how I think that applies to us anticipating the second coming of Christ. Some Hebrew words are going to come your way now. All right. First is sedukin. Sudukin. And James, leave that up there long enough for people to write that down, because that's, I'm sure, not a word they're familiar with. Neither was I. This is the father of the groom chooses a bride for his son. We have a, several Old Testament examples. Abraham is a striking one where Abraham did not want his son Isaac to marry a Canaanite woman. 
So he sent a servant back to his home area to find a bride for his son. And that is in Genesis 24, 4 and 58. But go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. So he did that. And at the very end, they called Rebekah and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. God has chosen us. He's chosen you and me as a bride for his son. He he sent his son and said, go get a bride for yourself. He wanted you. Ephesians 1, 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. First Peter 1, 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Matthew twenty two fourteen. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Okay, let's go to the second step. Ketubah and Mohar. Ketubah and Mohar. We'll leave that up there long enough so you can write that down. This is the father's meet at the city gate to negotiate a bride price. Important legal matters always took place at the city gate because there would be a lot of witnesses present. Both fathers would read aloud the marriage covenant and agreement they were making, and the fathers would agree on the details. Then the father of the groom would pay a dowry to the father of the bride. As I said, it's kind of like an insurance policy. Most people farmed, and a bride would have been a valuable worker on the farm for that father. He would be losing that asset, if you will. And so the other father paid somewhat to compensate that loss. And again, if there was a divorce or death, of the husband early, and the, and the wife had to move back in with her father. Again, it would just help with that. And we recently read a story when we were going through stories in the, in the book of Genesis about Jacob working seven years for Rachel. We see that in Genesis 29. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. That was the bride price. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to lie with her. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We have been purchased and bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Three, Debar. With Debar, a glass of wine sealed the covenant and the bride must accept it. The groom drank the cup, signifying his intention to marry this woman. Then the cup was passed to her. She could refuse it and there would be no wedding or accept it and drink it. And the covenant or contract of marriage would be sealed. It was called the cup of joy. It would lead to a life of joy and motherhood. To refuse it could lead to a life of loneliness and childlessness. To drink Christ's cup 
brings eternal joy. To refuse it, eternal sorrow. Now, apparently, in all the marriage ceremonies in, in the Near Eastern world there, only in Galilee was this part done where the bride had the opportunity to take the cup or reject it. So we accept the cup of Christ. We accept what he has done for us. We drink the cup willingly of our own volition. We believe on him as our savior. Now, this is said next after they drank the cup. You are now consecrated to me by the laws of Moses, and I will not drink the cup again until I drink it anew with you in my father's house. The couple would go their separate ways. Sometimes they weren't even in the same village, so they may not see each other for a year. Now, does, does that saying sound at all familiar to you? It's what Jesus said to his Galilean disciples at the Last Supper. Let me read that from Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. Isn't that amazing? The disciples would have understood exactly what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I'm going to unite with you as my bride and you're going to unite with me as a groom. That's really a lovely image there. The fourth is usurin. Urusin, I guess. Urusin. It was the year-long betrothal period of preparation. It's like an engagement time, except in their engagement, this betrothal period, you were actually considered married. Joseph and Mary were in this period in Matthew chapter 1. Where it says in verse 24 and 5, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. During that year of preparation, both the bride and the groom had preps to do. The groom had to build a room for his bride, an addition onto his father's house. Then he had to buy furniture for it. Do you see the parallel? Again, at the Last Supper, when Jesus is sharing the bread and the cup with his Galilean disciples, he said this in John 14. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus' disciples would again have seen and heard, thinking of Galilean weddings, the significance of this. Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away. I'm pledged. We're betrothed, but I'm going to go away for a while. But I am going to come back. That's my promise to you and bring you to where I am. And I'm there preparing a place just for you. Isn't that wonderful that he's doing that right now for us? 
The bride had preparations too. She had to make her wedding dress. And if she wanted an elaborate one in her tiny village, there probably wouldn't be the material. So it would take a while to go and find the materials to make her dress. Revelation 19, 7 and 8 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So by your kind deeds, your loving acts as a Christian, each and every day you're weaving your wedding dress for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you don't want to show up in a miniskirt. Number five, Matan. Matan, which is presents for the bride. The groom and his father would give gifts to the bride. When we're saved, we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. It says in Ephesians 4, 7 and 8. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it is said, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. First Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one, every believer, every follower of Christ. The manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. The next step in the wedding ceremony is Makuna. Makua. It's a ritual cleansing bath. So that the couple would step into a pool naked. There would be partitions. They would go one at a time. There'd be partitions for privacy's sake. And that ritual symbolized being back in your mother's womb before you committed sin. Ephesians 5, 25 and 27 tells us this. And this is again in the context of marriage. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ in our confession of sin, which makes us fit for the wedding. Six, chuppa. Chuppa, which is the last stages of preparation. The bridal chamber is now constructed and the furniture is in it. The bride and bridesmaids have made their dresses and they're prepared. The year-long betrothal period is ending. Now comes the wait for the call to the marriage feast. And no one knew when that was going to happen except the father of the groom. And it almost always took place in the middle of the night, around the midnight hour, typically. But no one knew exactly. You just had to be ready from now on. The bride and her bridesmaids actually slept in the same house, dressed and ready to go. And they had oil in their lamps ready for when the call came so they could see where they were going. Now, this is so rich. In second coming symbolism. Let me read from Matthew 25. 
At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Matthew twenty four thirty six, Jesus, in the context of the second coming, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. 8. Nesuin. Nesuin. This is the shofar was blown and a carriage carried the bride. So one night after a year has passed in the middle of the night, The father would say to his son, go get your bride. And the son would grab the shofar, the ram's horn, and blow it. He announced the wedding. It was like a trumpet call. It would wake up the bride and her bridesmaids and the town. They'd show up at the bride's house and she'd be put on a carriage and lifted up and she would process or process to the groom's house. First Thessalonians four sixteen and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive And our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Isn't that wonderful? So the town folks who were ready and alert and watching, they would hear the horn. And they would get up and be a part of it. But those who were asleep or had no oil were left behind. Matthew 24 42 to 44 says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the son of man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. The ninth step is. Chetuna, Chetuna, the wedding feast and consummation. Now, I couldn't leave this part out. 
though it is for mature audiences. All right, so when the couple arrived at the house, they alone went into the wedding chamber. They consummated their marriage while the guests waited outside. The couple emerged with their sheets, which proved that the bride was a virgin. The shedding of blood sealed the marriage covenant. No blood, no feast. Now listen to 2 Corinthians eleven two. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So we must be forgiven by the blood of Jesus to be his bride. Then the guests were invited into the house for a seven-day celebration, and the door was shut. Revelation 9.19 says, And the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. So this morning we say, Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. I want to close with two thoughts For everyone here this morning. Number one. Do you know Christ? Are you saved? Are you born again? Did you drink his cup? If you have. Then you're Christ's bride. And will participate. In the wedding feast. And the second question is. Are you ready? Are you watching? Are you praying? We don't know when his coming is. Maybe it's soon. You've got to be ready. Praying and watching. Let's pray. And as we pray here, if you have never made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ of your life, that he is your Savior and Lord, I'm just going to invite you to just raise your hand up so I can see it and put it back down. I want to give that opportunity here this morning in case there's somebody that hasn't received Christ before and wants to at this time. You need to make that commitment. Just raise your hand. Lord, I thank you for what you said in your word to us about your coming, that you are coming again. That is certain. We know it's true. And we know your father will tell you to go get your bride. And we want to be ready for that. We want to be watching. We want to be alert. We don't want to be dull and asleep spiritually. We say we're Christians this morning. We believe in Christ and his shed blood alone on the cross saves us from our sins. Oh, Lord, don't let us be dull and spiritually dead. We want to be alert and alive in you, watching and praying and prepared for your coming. And Lord, we know that uh, the Lord's Supper that you shared with your disciples is part of preparing us for that. It, it strengthens us on the inside. It gives us spiritual strength as we partake of the bread and the cup. So Lord, we thank you for what you promised your disciples 
and that you are coming again. And we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're welcome to do that. We want you to participate. You don't have to be a member of this church, just a follower of Christ.